I want to suggest that the the letter that we have to the Hebrews was in fact a a transcript, if you like, of a an exhortation of a sermon that was given uh, for the breaking of bread. And I, I say that for a number of reasons. One is the way that in chapter 13, verse 22, it concludes, "Suffer the word of exhortation." And that phrase, the word of exhortation, you meet it there in uh, Acts 13:15, where we're told that uh, it was a synagogue practice to invite brethren to give the word of exhortation. So it seems to me that this is a word of exhortation relevant to the breaking of bread that was uh, transcribed, was written down, and then it has uh, a sort of an appendix added to it to turn it into a letter. That's why the whole thing doesn't begin with any kind of any greeting or anything like that, just straight in. We just read chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times, da, 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 it, there's no address to anyone in particular. That would also explain why <coughs> the, the style of the, the letter is very different to sort of prose style. It really does sound like it's somebody talking live. Uh, you take chapter 2, verse 6, but one in a certain place testified, saying. It's a quotation. That, that's nowhere else in the New Testament you get quotations referred to like that. It's as if someone is speaking almost off the cuff, uh, and so, well, y you know, somewhere it's written, someone somewhere says uh, in the Old Testament, you know, there's a quote that says, and then he, he quotes. Also, I detect no fewer than 26, 26 references to the body and blood of Jesus in, in this letter. And uh, as, I, as I say all the time, the, the style of the letter sounds to me as if it's it's verbal, as if it's a, a transcript of somebody just talking. I mean, he says things like, as I may so say, as I may so say, kind of uh, throwaway comments that are, uh, I mean, inspired, I, I don't doubt that, but uh, the sort of throwaway comments that one may make in, in a verbal presentation. And also the idea of partaking in the body. This is very much out of the the record of the, the Last Supper partaking in the body of Jesus. So then, as we read through Hebrews, let's imagine that we are sitting there in a, a breaking of bread situation in the first century, a, a group of people from a Jewish background, and we're being exhorted about the Lord Jesus, about his death, his resurrection what that means for us, the, the certainty of our salvation and the response that, that we should make to it. And so that's just of course what we should be doing at the breaking of bread, focused completely on the Lord Jesus. Now he emphasizes at almost painstaking length that the Lord Jesus was not an angel. He did not come to save angels because angels don't need saving, because angels can't sin. He came to save the children of Abraham. He came to save people, and therefore he had to be exactly like us. That's the, the whole basic point of all that's being said, particularly in these uh, first two chapters that we've just read. Now, verse 14, For as much then as the children, that's us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise partook of the same. Now, it's saying the same thing five times over. If you were 
marking this uh, in our English class, uh, you'd say, look, you're saying the same thing five times over. The emphasis is absolutely huge. He also, himself, likewise, partook the same. It's really emphasizing that the Lord Jesus was of our nature. And, of course, he, it's, it's backed up by, by a load of uh, quotations. Uh, verse 11, Both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, and he's not ashamed to call us brethren, saying... And then there's some Old Testament quotations to the effect that Jesus calls us his brethren. Verse 13, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God has given me. Now, how does that quote, beginning of verse 13, and again I will put my trust in him, how does that prove that Jesus was human? Well, I, I suggest it must prove it in the sense that <coughs> Jesus had to have faith. And to trust in the invisible God was difficult for the Lord as it was for us. And the fact that he also had to walk by faith and not by sight was something that actually means that he was completely united with us so that nobody can ever say he doesn't know or nobody on earth knows how I feel well maybe actually that's right maybe nobody on this earth does know exactly how we feel maybe that is so but the point is there is someone in heaven who even now in his heavenly glory Paul could call in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 the man Christ Jesus there is someone there a quote man who knows how we feel because he was exactly like us and that reflection alone I think should really fortify us against those moments of I guess kind of existential loneliness that, that we get that nobody knows what I've been through how I feel etc etc well maybe they don't I'm sure they don't but there is this one this unique one who does know and so because of that and because, yes, he was tempted in all ways that we are, but he didn't sin, he rose again as our representative, we have been baptized into him, therefore we can be assured of salvation. So therefore, verse 15, he can deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Psychologically, the fear of death is what dominates so many people. And we have been delivered from this fear of death. We have got something that nobody else has got. A freedom from this fear, this nagging fear of death, which denied as people may. Psychologically, that is a fundamental structural factor in, in the makeup of every human being. We are delivered through that fear of death because the Lord Jesus had our nature. Now interestingly in chapter 5 of Hebrews verse 7 we read that in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears under him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. So then the Lord Jesus, particularly in Gethsemane had something of this fear of death also and yet he went through it so that he can deliver us from it. And of course the idea of people living their lives all their lifetime subject to bondage is very much 
the idea of Israel and Egypt redeemed by the blood of, of the Lamb because truly 16 really this is for real he did not take hold or seize angels but he seized the seed or the children of Abraham who's the seed of Abraham? Galatians 3 those that have been baptized into the Lord Jesus he took hold on us he seized us the old English has he took on him well that's that's a poor poor one a poor uh, translation there the word really means seized and the same Greek word you can find a number of times in the Gospels and I have said before how Paul particularly alludes so many times in his letters to the Gospels consciously and unconsciously it seems to me anyway here I suggest the thought is on Matthew 14 verse 31 where you've got Peter sinking and Jesus grabs hold of him and saves him and says why did you doubt O you of little faith he seized him he grabbed Peter Matthew 14 31 and that's the same word here Jesus actually did that to all of us and actually you find the word several times in, in the Gospels of Jesus taking hold of a child Jesus taking hold of a, a sick person to, to, to cure them and so all those incidents were if you like cameos of how the Lord Jesus has taken hold has seized hold of us and so we are not alone yeah, you are not alone I am not alone man is not alone the Lord Jesus has taken hold of us he has got us in his grip now because of that he therefore is able to truly truly save us and will bring that through to its conclusion verse 18 because he himself again just notice the use of language there because he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to succor or to help those who are tempted now same word translated succor or help uh, crops up again at the end of Hebrews at the end of this exhortation I think uh, Hebrews 13 verse 6 he said let your way of life be without covetousness without materialism be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and that word helper is uh, the same basic word as succor or help there in chapter 2 verse 18 so we may boldly say the Lord and I think he really has in mind the Lord Jesus is my helper is my succorer because, bringing Hebrews 2.18 into play, because he was of my nature and intercedes for me in heaven and will help me in my, in my weak moments, the Lord is my helper, so I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So you see the, the huge practical import of all this. I know that it, it's such a, a hot potato to argue about whether Jesus is God or man and Trinity or unity or whatever, but all this has got some pretty huge practical implication because he suffered being tempted and you know God can't be tempted let's remember that 
he is able to help or to succor those who are tempted and therefore Hebrews 13 verse 6 I can boldly say the Lord is my helper and therefore I'm not going to be materialistic I'm not going to be fearful I'm not going to worry what man does you can kill me you can take everything from me but I have in heaven this wonderful friend this one who was of my nature who absolutely knows me inside out and who helps me in my weakness. And so Hebrews 13 said that there, there should be a boldness in our saying, the Lord is my helper, is my succor. And you got the same idea in chapter 4, verses 15 and, uh, and 16, where the same point is made, that because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this idea of boldness, this idea of confidence, not of course arrogance, uh, this idea of, of the, the bold sinner, it's a, an, amazing, an amazing mixture of ideas that we as sinners, because we are sinners, find this boldness because of how the Lord Jesus was and is. Now, truly, what a friend we have in Jesus. My little lips and little mouth sung as a little boy, He comes, he comes, the sinner's friend. And of course it's only in later life that you realize, well, the sinner's friend the friend of the sinner and you know, until we realize our sinfulness until we realize our desperation until we realize our need we will not know him and we will not sense the wonder of all this Hebrews 13 verse 8 concludes this uh, sermon really this uh, exhortation if you like of the breaking of bread by saying that the Lord Jesus was the same yesterday today and forever so then the Lord Jesus who walked around Galilee with a, a crowd of rough men following him prostitutes etc who loved sitting with, with really the worst of sinners talking to them having table fellowship with them which was unheard of of course for uh, a rabbi in, in the first century the Jesus who loved children and whom children loved and felt at ease with the Jesus who bothered to talk to women so that you know he's talking to this woman uh, like some kind of ex-hooker it seems by, by the uh, by the well and they, they like wow he's talking to a woman what are you doing talking to a woman you know this Jesus who to put it simply loved people who loved people he's the same yesterday today and forever and I think there is an allusion there to some of the Old Testament passages that are talking about God's name the same yesterday, today and forever but that's uh, in passing the point is that the essence of God and the essence of his son don't change that Jesus who was like that yesterday is like that with us today as he looks at situations, that Jesus is going to be the same when he comes in judgment we I think can too quickly say that Jesus came as the meek lamb to die but he's coming back as the roaring angry lion of the tribe of Judah well I think that is far too simplistic because the, the Jesus who was humble 
the Jesus who sought to save, who was so filled with the idea of saving life that his name was Jesus, Saviour, is the same Jesus who is coming back. The same yesterday, today and forever. And of course, it's with him that we right now have to do. And so, we need to think about this and marvel in it that every temptation that I face, he also faced. And not only temptation, but every aspect of humanity, he knows, because he was human. Now, although I have never been a Trinitarian, I do recall the day, it was a specific day, in Moscow, in Russia, walking a, a very long walk between uh, a metro station and a, uh, an overhead uh, railway station, that I suddenly this whole thing burst upon me, that the Lord Jesus had a blood group. He had Mary's genetic structure in him. He had a unique fingerprint. He had a sense of humor. He forgot things. He was right-handed, or left-handed, or maybe ambidextrous, but he wasn't, there weren't any choices beyond those three. Uh, he was, I mean, he had the sort of human libido, let's say, and normal male human response to situations that anyone else has. I even wonder when, you know, it says that uh, they found a woman naked and caught in the act and all that and Jesus is standing there with her and all these fellows around her and he starts riding in the ground he looks at the ground and starts riding well I know people say that you know it's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that he was maybe writing their names well he yes he could have been I, I personally think that he did exactly what I think I would have done as a, as a male faced with a completely naked uh, woman uh, I just saw a look on the ground from sort of male awkwardness and I wondered if he simply doodled on the ground until all the other guys cleared off because uh, it was uh, was somewhat awkward and then he just looks to the woman and says well don't uh, sin anymore and uh, I, you know we each have a solemn duty to reconstruct in our own minds him how was he it doesn't matter, if you see what I mean, if we get the reconstruction a bit wrong. That doesn't ultimately matter. The point is that we love him, and we long to see him, and we want to be like him. And we just will think and fantasize and imagine what he was like when he was here. And this thing about what would Jesus do, I'm a great fan of that, because this is the whole point of our lives, to be him in this world. What would Jesus do? How would he speak? With what tone of voice? With what body language? How would he be? And how would he act? This is the whole essence of eternity. We shall be like him. Oh, how rich the promise. And because of the uh, the way that that hymn is sort of uh, structured, the emphasis seems to be on, we shall be like him. But I think the wonderful thing is that we shall be like him. 
that all that he was as he walked amongst men and women this perfect man who was all the same human and all the same had human nature who you know sneezed who spoke words from you know from the larynx of, of a Palestinian Jew in the accent I suppose of the area that he grew up in this Jesus is who we ultimately will be like he is to be the light of our world and he is the light at the end of the tunnel but what does that mean it means that we will be like him I mean this is the whole essence of it and so we have this natural desire or we should have to focus upon him and reconstruct in our own minds how we imagine he was and would be in our lives and will be eternally so then it becomes absolutely crucial to our lives to feel that connection between him then you know 2000 years ago or whatever dying on a day in April on a Friday afternoon on, on a, a, a stake of wood outside Jerusalem it becomes crucial to connect him there as he was with me today and unless we're going to make that connection then whatever we think about Jesus I think has very little cash value whether we, we, we have the right theology or not uh, is one issue but we must make that connection between him as a person and me as a person and that slowly we will be changed into that same image there's a wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 3 where Paul talks about how Moses looked at the glory of the angel and every time the angel spoke to him the glory that was on the angel's face sort of got onto Moses' face and reflected off him and the Jews or the Israelites came and met Moses and they were like wow what's that glory shining off your face and Paul says that all this points forward to something that the true glory is the glory of the Lord Jesus and we each he says with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord the Lord Jesus are changed into that same image from glory to glory I understand that to mean that insofar as we reflect upon Jesus upon who he was how he was the very process of doing that will change us and something of him will rub off upon us so many times I have wondered and I'm sure you have as well I'm sure every believing person in Jesus has wondered how can I be better how can I be more like him you know like putting meaning into words and what do I do I read the Bible more okay so alright I read the Bible hour a day but all the same I'm not being like him what do I do do I take a day off work uh, and focus uh, on uh, let's say being patient or being more controlled in my language or whatever you know whatever our weaknesses well it doesn't work like that you take a day off work you can take a month off work you, you can not work all your life but it, you know what I'm saying it, it won't that of itself I mean what do you do let's say you take a day off work okay because you want to be more patient what do you do sit there at home or go and sit in the park 
uh, or I don't know, uh, what do you do? Uh, and try and make yourself more patient? No, th- th- there's got to be something else. And Paul says that it is insofar as we behold his glory that we are changed into that same image. Slowly. Process going on from glory to glory. It's not a, a question of willing ourselves, forcing ourselves, beating ourselves up, academically studying the Bible. All these, well, okay, they, these all play their play their part, I guess, but it is the transforming knowledge of him as a person that will change us. His knowledge is, in that sense, transformatory. It, it's not as if we learn the principles of Christianity like you may learn the principles of motor mechanics or, or let's say, Marxism or whatever. Let, let's take Marxism, okay? Right, let's say we all want to become Marxists. Okay, so we study, we read the books, uh, and we say, yeah, right, now I've understood all this, right, okay. It doesn't matter who Karl Marx was as a person. It's neither here nor there. But with Christianity, it's quite different. That the whole thing is about being like Jesus. I mean, when he says that he is to be the light of our world, I mean, there's those huge implications that everything is to be centered around him and to be seen and interpreted in the light of him. And so, it's wonderful, I think, how the basic underpinnings of the of the gospel that God has revealed to us theologically, if you like, that the Lord Jesus was of our nature, was not God himself, but we are out of human nature tempted to sin internally by, by our own nature but by the processes going on within the human mind that the Lord Jesus died as our representative that we are to be baptized into him in response to a belief that he truly was my representative that we are therefore in him and connected with him these things are important Although, as I have said, the theology alone, of course, won't save anyone. But they are important because they bring us to him and to an identification with him. And it is that identification with him, that being seized by him, as we said in Hebrews 2.16, for truly he did not seize angels, but he seized the seed of Abraham, just as he seized Peter when he was drowning. It is that which will save us. It is that, in the end, which will bring us through. It is our connection with him. And so, let's bear all that in mind, so far as we can. Let it motivate our prayers. Give us that boldness in prayer. Give us that boldness in life. And always remember that we shall be like him. Oh, how rich the promise.